Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. We are in a series um, that I uh, have called Soul Success. And I've highlighted it with a Camaro. That SS on there, Chevy thought that they were making a super sport. What they were actually doing was they were preferencing the fact that I was going to eventually preach a series called Soul Success. And they put it right on the front of a very fast car so that everybody would know that Soul Success is a muscle car that's going to take you to the uh, extreme destination that you want to go, take you there in style and take you there quickly. So the success of your soul is, is vitally important for you to walk out all of the things that were purchased for you at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Way too much of Christianity is about what might happen maybe one day way off in the sweet by and by. And the problem is we forget about the sour here and now. And so we just basically buck up, say, well, just, we'll just take it, whatever, whatever is today, you know, I guess that's just part of the human experience, and we just got to put up with, <laughs> you are a son of God. If you want to put up with terrible things, you have permission as a son of God to put up with that. If you don't, you have permission as a son of God, to rule and to reign on this earth over any influence that tries to push you around. And this is vitally important to making that happen, which is the success, the prosperity, the health, the peace of your soul, of your soul. I have heard preacher after preacher after preacher come uh, or, or preach, minister, and say, you know, I'm ministering to your spirit man. I'm feeding your spirit man. I'm trying to develop your spirit man. I'm trying to mature your spirit man. And that, I, I'm, not, I'm not naming any preacher's names, but I'm telling you, that is wrong. That is bad wrong. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that he who is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. If you are born above, if you have been born again or born above, is what Jesus said, your spirit is the spirit of Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says that if you have not the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. So here's your options. You're either born again and you have the spirit of Christ, or you are not born again and you have no spirit. And we can solve that problem today at Beloved Church. We're really good at it. If you have not been born above, today is your day. Heaven has come to kiss you. 
So you do not need your spirit, which is not your spirit, because it's his spirit, because it's the spirit of Christ. You don't need your spirit fed. You don't need your spirit matured. You don't need your spirit anything. What you need is your soul to look like, reflect, and receive from your spirit. Your spirit is healthy. It is the spirit that created the universe. You don't need to grow him up, I can assure you. He's in you to grow you up. I hear this all the time. uh, uh, So we're that crazy, weird church that believes all the things that are in the Bible. I know, it's crazy to try to find that stuff. We've seen the dead raised. We've seen blind eyes open. We've seen deaf ears open. We've seen cancers healed. We've seen all kinds of fun, fun, awesome, amazing stuff happen because we are people that believe that we're filled with the Spirit. And so very often we will make an opportunity for people to be baptized or immersed in the Spirit of God. And that's weird for people because they come out of religion. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is contrary to religion. So if you hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you've got something that goes <gasps> on the inside of you, that would be religion. And I'm sorry, if you can get rid of it, we can go ahead and dust you in the Holy Spirit and you can walk like a son of God. So we are a church that believes to, that you are allowed to be and probably should be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times when I go minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit to someone, they will say, well, I'm not holy enough. To receive the Holy Spirit. I haven't been fasting. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't read the scriptures. I just did something last night that I can't tell you about. And actually, I'm a little hungover right now. Guess who would be the best recipient of the Holy Spirit of all the people on the planet? If the Spirit of God has come to make you holy, don't you think he'd be really attracted to the least holy among us? So raise your hand if they're least holy and so we... No, don't do that. (laughs) But that's why God fills you with himself. It's not because you're worthy. It's because he wants you to live the life that he has. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world... I know you guys are probably good. You could finish this one, couldn't you? That he gave his only begotten son, that anybody that believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. And most people think, well, that means living in heaven after you die. That's because that's what religion has told you. That's not what that means. Everlasting means quality and quantity, Quality and quantity, and life in the Greek is zoe. And that is the actual life that God himself has. So what Jesus was saying is if you believe in him, you will have the quality and the quantity of life that God himself has. I could probably speculate that the majority of the room doesn't have that going on. That's the manifestation of the life of God that's in you. So the reason that God put his spirit in you was to manifest the life of God. If you're not manifesting the completed life of God, then you have not fully matured in your soul, in your mind, to what the Father wants to do because he put the spirit of God in you for you to reflect that spirit. And you can do it. I believe in you. 
The Father believes in you. He wouldn't give you His Spirit if He thought that you weren't going to be able to handle it. Amen. God makes good investments. He's, he's a half Jew. Jews make good investments. He invested Himself in you. He believes in you. If you ever want to know if He actually loves you, all you have to do is look at a cross. That cross proves that He loves you. If you ever want to know that He's vested into your future and your life and your success, all you have to know is that the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. You literally are going to be walking out the complete, actual, full life of God, whether you think you can or not. Because you're going to do it now on this earth, drawing this oxygen, or you're going to do it in heaven. Either way, you are going to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. You are predestined for it. That word predestination is only used twice in the Scriptures. It's used in Ephesians uh, 1 and in Romans 8. And both of them are referencing the fact that because God put himself in you, you will eventually become conformed to God. Which leads me to one real quick point that I want to leave this because I hear this way too often and so I kind of want to deal with it. You carry light. The world is in darkness. And I know I'm going to say this and you're going to have the right answer, but I want us to take this all the way to its core. Because you carry light and the world stands in darkness, which of those two should be more effective than the other? I know you're thinking, like, this is a trick question. It's not, not everyone is, only like half of them. I heard a story one time that there was a, um, a spelunker. Look at me with all my English today. There was a spelunker who got lost in a cave, and the reason that they found him in a cave is because I think it was every hour he would light a match. He had a box or a book of match, whatever. He wrote he a match. And the reflection of that match in those caves, because it was so dark, it was perfectly period pitch black dark. The reflection of the cave, there was guys that found him because the reflection of one match reflected off all the different walls of the caves and they found him a mile away. One match. Jesus said, uh, Matthew 5.13, you are the light of the world. You're not a match. You want to see me irritated? Sing this little light of mine. I will not slap you because I am patient. But what a terrible thing to teach our children. You got a little light on the inside of you. You should let it shine. You're the light of the world, y'all. Heaven has no sun. It has Jesus. I'm losing y'all. Read Revelation 21 and 22. There's no sun in heaven, S-U-N, because it has the S-O-N. And the S-O-N emits so much that you wouldn't be able to see an S-U-N anyway. And here's the other thing, too. There's no shadows. That's right. All you scientific people, wrap your brain around that one. His light is so permeating and so complete that there is no way for a shadow to actually be there. There's nothing that can block it. 
That's the light you are. As he is, so are we in this world. That's who you are. You should never, ever, ever say, well, I don't know if I can go there because those people are messed up and every time I go there I feel icky and then I need to get prayer because I think some of what they had got on me. Some of the darkness stuck to you the light? Someone help me process this. This is like 2020 pandemic logic. If you wear a mask, you won't get the virus. I have a bridge to sell you. (laughs) I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. So this is soul success. You carry the light of the world. The darkness cannot get into you. If you believe the darkness can get into you, if you believe other people can influence you into bad things or evil thinking or bad ways, you can have whatever you believe. Jesus said, be it unto you according to what you believe. As a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you believe that you can be influenced by darkness, then you can put a bushel over your light. It's stupid. And I know none of you are doing it. That's why I can say it's stupid because it's somebody else. But don't do that. Don't believe that the world is so strong. There are so many people that have more faith in Satan than they have in Jesus. I have to move on because I want to cover this information because this is probably some of the most important information that any of you will ever experience. Uh, most people, probably barely anybody, maybe, maybe Mom and Kay and Jim, there might be just a handful of people that know this, maybe Hannah and Gunnar. Um, this church was in me, well, since before I was born. I became aware of the fact that this church was in me about 24 years ago or something like that. And because I knew that it was in me, I had to go get smarter. So I went to Bible college the first time because I needed it more than once because some of us are more dense than others. But I'm here, so before you get all condemning, So the first time I went to Bible college, uh, on the second year of the program, we had to do what was called a model ministry, where you wrote, you did a huge, I mean, it was literally like this thick, you had to, like, preemptively decide and write out all of the facets, legalities, everything that would be involved in you starting whatever ministry that you believe that you were called to Bible college to go and do. And so I wrote my model ministry on, now this is in Texas. I went to Bible college in Texas. We didn't know if we were coming back. I mean, we, obviously when you leave Illinois, the the only reason you're coming back is because you're extradited. But we, we, God bless all of you Wisconsin people that are in the, amen, and we got a ton of Wisconsin people here. Don't tell them. <laughs> they know. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't really know where we were coming back. Uh, for those of you that know me, I easily could have went to Africa and wore a thong and lived in a mud hut and preached the gospel. And if you think I'm being funny, you don't know me yet. 
I'm for real. Showers are a pain. I would easily go and live anywhere, anywhere with the most obscure group of people and preach the gospel. One of the reasons is because you Americans, you don't like to have the supernatural happen in your life. You say you do, but you really don't because you trust more in the doctors than you trust in the physician. But that's one of the things that I experience when I go to third world countries is you know just miracles off the charts, seeing people's lives radically change, seeing all this amazing stuff. I would go live in a third world country in a minute, except I have a K. That would be my wife. She's not super hip with the mud hut. <laughs> so we have a church <laughs> in America. <laughs> but I knew that this church was in me, and I knew that this was what I was called to do. And so my model ministry was on this church. It was called Covenant House. That was the name of Beloved Church. You might be thinking, well, then why is this Beloved Church? Because I had two encounters with the Lord that changed some things in my life and my heart, and I wanted this to be the place where the great love of God was always experienced and known about. This is Beloved Church where you are greatly loved. Not just greatly loved by the people of Beloved Church, but you're greatly loved by your Father. But, Beloved Church was birthed from the fact that one of the first revelations, in fact, the revelation that changed my life when I was 20 years old, 20 years old, was the revelation of the covenant of blood. And we're in a society that has decimated the world, the word covenant. Decimated it. You are actually considered pretty cool if you can get a lawyer and break a contract. It's literally the world that we live in. The more a person lies and gets away with it, the more we will elect them to higher office. It, we are a society based on being covenant breakers. The divorce rate in America is around 51%. That means more people don't stay together than do. There's no such thing as divorce. It was invented by Moses for hard-hearted people. And if you're divorced in a room, just stop with the guilt, shame, condemnation thing. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just, I'm going to preach the truth. I'm not not trying to hurt anybody. If you've been divorced, God loves you. God keeps no record of wrongs. If you want to keep a record of it, you're anti-God, but keep record of it. I'm just going to preach the truth and say the truth. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. If you've been divorced, God bless you. Get over it. God's over it. Get into the thing that God's called you to do and act like you're a son of God. My mom's been divorced. Thank I know you weren't clapping that my mom's been divorced. Okay, because that would be really awkward. Sorry, Mom. I don't know where these people come from. I actually invited him to church. 
Any hooser. My, I was trying to say my mom's been divorced. And if it wasn't for the fact that my mom's been divorced, I wouldn't have Jim. And if you've ever, if you've ever met Jim, your life is incomplete without a Jim. So, I have no condemnation or shame or guilt or any, I'm not trying to say anything negative to a person who's been through divorce. Let me say this. Divorce is wrong and evil. Not the person, the thing. Okay. Uh, murder is wrong and evil. And a murderer can be just as forgiven as you. Okay? Picking your nose in public is wrong and evil. <laughs> and you can be forgiven of it. We have to be able to understand that we need to be able to separate activities and actions that people do from character and nature. This is why when you judge or condemn a person, you are antichrist. The Bible actually calls it the accuser of the brethren. His name is Satan. So you're actually being satanic when you accuse your brother or your sister. Well, then... We should never judge anything ever. No. There's entire chapters in the New Testament that literally command us to judge. To judge what? Fruit. You don't condemn root. You judge fruit. So if someone comes up to me and say, Pastor, my life is jacked up. I'll say, okay. Well, I'm looking at your tree, and you got a banana and a pineapple and a mango and some mangled up. I don't even know what that is. It's got worms coming out of it. Uh, so we need to really work on your root. Well, how dare you condemn me? I tried to grow that pineapple. Okay, well then, what are you coming to me for help for? <laughs> and th- this happens a lot, y'all. And people feel like they're being condemned. If, I, if, I, if you come up to me and you say, my finances are a wreck, and I say, okay, well, let's look at your finances. And then we look at your finances and say, well, why are you spending $47 a week on McDonald's? I really love McDonald's. That's stupid. <gasps> Pastor, you're supposed to be kind and gentle. Okay. That's stupid. <laughs> Not only is McDonald's unhealthy, but it's a total waste of money. We need to be okay with that. Grown-ups are okay with that. Immature people are not. Because they don't know how to separate action from nature and character. I'm, my job is to align the Spirit of Christ, His nature, and His character, and your actions together, because those working together is going to give you soul success that's going to lead you into great prosperity. Third John, verse 2, says, Beloved, that's you, you were birthed from covenant, and you moved into beloved. I pray, and that word for pray there is actually divinely desire. That's why in some translations it's, it's uh, translated pray, and in other translations it's translated wish, desire. It's because it's a very, very unique word that literally means there's a desire from the spiritual part of me. The, the God part of me desires this to happen to you. But, as I've said before, you cannot pray good things into people's lives. God. Bless Craig and, and make him really holy. That's witchcraft. I can say, 
Father, is there a revelation that I can have that I can go and minister to Craig and he can receive it? Yes. God, save my brother. He's a terrible brother. Save my brother. God, save him now. God, save him. God, save him. And I've heard people pray like that. You do know that God wants him saved more than you do. Like God actually like went through this whole thing to save him. Like this is really proof positive that God wants your brother saved. If it was just praying your brother to be saved, why in the world are we doing all this gospel churchy, go out there uh, witnessing? All, why are we doing all that? Why don't we just go sit in our closet and pray for everybody to get saved and go on to glory? Because you cannot pray this. This actually has to take place by people's wills accepting them. Your soul has to open up to the truth. It's the foolishness of preaching that brings salvation to people. Why preaching? Because a person has to receive it. If God could just ostensibly go into people's lives and force them to do things, you would be way better at being a Christian. You have to receive these things through humility and meekness. Submit to your Father. If it works that way for you, it works that way for everyone. You cannot pray these things to happen. That's why he wasn't praying that you will be prosperous, you will be operating in divine health. He was saying that I desire, above all things, that you are living in and walking out your prosperity and living in and walking out the divine health that I desire for you and I know that's going to take place as you allow your soul to prosper. This is a very important spiritual principle. Psalms thirty-five twenty-seven says that... <laughs> Amen. I know I've been gone a little while. Let them shout for joy and be glad. <laughs> Look at there. That was like half and half. Need some more. We need that Konania Cafe built quick so we can get some more coffee into y'all. <laughs> Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Let them. Let them. Who's the let? <laughs> this doesn't happen a lot in, re- in American Christianity. If I was a Chinese Christian, that I was in the underground church, and they would potentially come and kill me at any moment for being a Christian? Anybody pay attention to the fact that not every Christian all over the world has it as great as we have it? In China, if you're a Christian, they kill you. It's just a whole lot easier to deal with it. Or they try to make you a state-run Christian, which is what our country's trying to do to us. But I said no. In China, if you become a real legitimate born-again Christian and they find out, they just kill you. And here's the amazing part. Those folks have ten times the amount of joy than the average American Christian with the 3,000-square-foot house and the four cars and the 17 TVs and a cell phone worth more than the Chinese Christian has in his entire being. That's way too quiet. Let them say continually. I'll promise you, the corners of your mouth will change directions if you actually did this. It would go from sucking lemon place to actual joy of the Lord place, which is beneficial because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let them say continually, 
Lord, I want you to be magnified by blessing my socks off. I know some people are like, oh God, he's talking about prosperity in the church. I know. Says the person that goes to a job 40 hours a week so you can have prosperity. Which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. The Father is pleased to prosper you. For all of the fathers in the room that are good, healthy, godly fathers, do you want your children broke, sick, imprisoned, and miserable, or the opposite? So are you a better father than Father God? Why do we think that Father God wants our lives to be these terrible experiences of just grinding through and and woe is me when you as a father actually want great things for your children? So I'm going to talk to you about the covenant that the Father has made for us and with us. I'm going to read to you what a covenant is real quick. Um, go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in the ESV, sis. I'm going to read these verses, and then I'm going to talk about covenant practices real quick. This is going to be a little bit different than what you guys are accustomed to with me. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Such is the confidence. Confidence. It says in Hebrews, cast not away your confidence because it has a great recompense of reward. One of the reasons that we do not receive from God the things that God desires for us to have is because we actually don't have any confidence towards God. We can agree with the cool Christian sayings, is God a good God? God's a good God all the time to me. Woo! You, but most people don't really believe that because then when bad things happen to them, they say, well, I guess God wanted me to go through this bad thing. Well, was God a good God all the time to you? Or does God every once in a while, he's good and then he's bad, he's schizophrenic? Sunday, well, thanks for going to church. Here's some fun, wonderful, awesome stuff. Yay, I feel great. Did you feel that worship? Oh, I felt that worship. That was really God. God really touched me. And then on Monday, the car breaks down on the way to work. Well, I guess God wanted me to slow down. Say, teach me a lesson. Blow up my engine. I must have been getting too wealthy, and now I've got to spend $5,000 on an engine. God must be teaching me something. And I don't have time to do that. I don't know why I say those things, because then I just leave them, and then somebody's... You can call me later. Verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. That's important. But our sufficiency is from God. Verse 6 says, who has made us sufficient? We were created, made, created to be sufficient, to be ministers of a new covenant. Most people don't know this, but this Bible that some of you have, God bless you, is broken into two parts that you know as the Old Testament and the New Testament. That is not true. 
Testament is a word that they used 600 years ago when they started to write Bibles in English that actually means covenant. This Bible that you hold in your hand is two covenants. It's the old covenant and the new covenant. Which is why you need to make sure that you understand that there is a difference. If you think that a church that preaches the gospel says, if you do all these good things, God will be good to you and He'll do really wonderful things for you. If you're really, really good, God will be really, really good to you. If you're bad, God will be bad to you. And at the end of your life, He'll judge everything out and hopefully you go up instead of down. That's all Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. At the end of your life, hopefully you go up. That's Old Covenant. That's 95% of the churches in America. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Hopefully at the end of your life you go up. They are literally preaching the Old Covenant. Jesus doesn't exist except for some of their worship songs and hymns. It is not the New Covenant. The New Covenant is Jesus did good, so you get good. Jesus was cursed for the bad, so you cannot be done badly. And because Jesus brought the life of God, you live an eternal life now. That's a completely different covenant than the Old Covenant. So this covenant, the Old Covenant, was the letter of the law, as it says there. And the letter kills. The Old Covenant was... The Old Testament, when people go strolling through the Old Testament, and they're like, Pastor, I was reading in Leviticus, and oh my God. I'm like, stop reading in Leviticus! <laughs> Until you know John. I cannot tell you, especially lately, because I've seen a lot of people come to Christ <laughs> lately, that people like get really excited about the things of God, and they're like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm like, great, awesome, read the Bible. Read it a lot. Read it all the time. And then they'll call me in a couple of weeks. Well, I'm at Genesis 20. I'm like, oh my God, you started at the wrong end. <laughs> well, I started at the beginning. Well, the beginning is John 1.1. What? <laughs> John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1 is the first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1, 1 comes after John 1, 1. Genesis 1, 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that beginning is actually past the beginning of John 1, 1. So if you want to start with the Bible from the beginning, you've got to read John 1. Which leads to 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way to 22. And then while you're in John, just do it again. You really need to know John. The new You cannot understand what God was trying to accomplish in the old unless you have a revelation of the new. Because the old is God concealed, the new is God revealed. Jesus Christ was the fullness of God. So if you start in the Old Testament, you're not getting the fullness. Because the Spirit, Jesus, gives life. This is why He said in John 6, 63, The words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit. They are life. Amen. Right now, the words that I'm speaking to you, beloved, these are not mine. They can do anything in you. Or they can be Steve and bounce off. 
And if you think I'm being funny or arrogant or something, you know how many people were in Jesus' meetings that nothing happened? Judas was in every one of Jesus' meetings. So don't assume just because you hear truth and just because you are literally with the Son of God and the actual words are spirit and life that it just happens to you. Like osmosis. You have to open your heart up and receive. That's why Jesus said the words that I speak to you, they're spirit and life. I'm releasing spirit and I'm releasing life. Whatever you're believing for, God can do that through the words that I'm releasing because it's not my words, they're His words. In Genesis chapter 15, I'm going to, I'm going to allude to this. I'm not going to have you read it. I would love to give you a homework assignment and tell you to go home and read Genesis chapter 15, but most of us act like juniors in high school when they're given an assignment that doesn't have a test. And I don't like tests. So I'm not going to give you a test. I'd say that Genesis 15 is a good encouragement for you. Let me give you covenant practices in Abram's day. In Abram's day, the blood covenant signified an absolute and unbreakable guarantee of a man's word. Nothing short of a blood agreement could have convinced Abram of God's desire to bless him. By cutting the covenant, that's what it's called, by cutting the covenant short of a blood agreement, by cutting the covenant with him, Almighty God communicated his unfailing love and his fidelity that on a level that Abraham could understand. Abraham lived in a culture that covenant was normal. We live in a, we live in a culture that no such thing as covenant is, gets into our American brain ever. Contracts are made to be broken. <laughs> God was establishing a love relationship with him that could not be broken without penalty of death. Maybe now you'll understand Deuteronomy chapter 28. The blessings that bring life, the first 15, 16 verses, or the first 15 verses, and then 16 through 68 are the curse. That's why it's in there. Because that book... That Bible was written to people with covenant minds. Do you know in, in Romans chapter 1, I think it's in verse 30 or 31, that murder and covenant breaking is in the same list? Murder and covenant breaking. You know how many covenants we break before breakfast? Yeah, honey, I'll do that. I said I'll do that for the first 57 times I'll do it. Covenant breakers. And then we wonder why we can't trust God to keep His covenant with us. Yay! Good preaching. When two families made covenant together, they gave to one another everything they had and all they represented. There are people in this room that your last name is a is seven, eight, nine hundred year old name that came from two families getting covenant. Does anybody know if you have that name? What's your last name? Martin Dale. Guess where Nate Martin Dale's name came from? Because the Martin family 
And the Dale family came together and they say, Martins, you guys are really wealthy. And the Dale family says, we are really good with the sword. Here's what we'll do. We will use all of our ability with the sword and come into covenant with you and all of your ability in finances and together what we're weak in and what you're strong in and what you're weak in and what we're strong in, together we will be undefeatable. Let's become Martindales. They were no longer two, but one. Listen to me, married people. This is why hyphening last names is something that's like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. You lay down your identity to take up a new identity. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a ceremony. It's not a contract. It's not a license. That's the American version. Marriage is a covenant. Families bound themselves together in blood agreements in order to fill in the gaps created by each other's weaknesses and needs. Covenants were made in blood. Now they're made in ink. You know where ink comes from? It's a representation of blood. People were tired of using their blood to make covenants, and so we started using ink. This is how far we've come. To fill in the gaps created by each other's weaknesses and needs. Where the first tribe was strong, the second was weak. Where the second tribe was strong, the first was weak. Together they were both strong. These two families drew up the terms of their agreement and discussed them until each article was fully and mutually agreeable. Then they chose representatives and a place to cut the covenant. As they prepared for the solemn ceremony... The solemn ceremony, at least three large animals were sacrificed. Their carcasses were split down the spine. Their back was split open. Their back was split open. And the two halves were placed on the ground opposite each other. The result was a trail of blood between the two halves. In Jesus' case, it led all the way up to Golgotha. This path was called the Way of Blood. If the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ in your mind is not absolutely gruesome, then you have never seen what Jesus has done for you. It was the most gruesome and bloody event in all of human history. The word excruciating is a transliterated term that comes from the Greek, that means out of the cross, excruciating, crucifixion, 
excruciating. It literally, they created a term that talks about the pain that goes beyond. Most guys didn't make it to the cross. They died. Just the flogging in Roman society was enough to kill you. And Jesus was beat by the Hebrews and by the Romans. When the covenant ceremony began, the two representatives exchanged their coats. This signified the mutual exchange of authority. By this act, the covenant representatives say, All that I have and all that I am is now yours. Take my coat. Next, the covenant representatives exchanged their weapons. Galatians chapter 6. Through this, they were saying, my strength is now your strength. Your enemies are now my enemies. Your enemies are now my enemies. After the coats and weapons were exchanged, then came the walk of blood. Twice the representatives walked through the way of blood, stopping in the center. There they pronounced their pledges of loyalty, making promises to each other that could never be broken. If you shall confess with your heart and believe, if you shall confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I have to do this really fast. I'm telling you, there's a ton of stuff in here that I'm going way past, and so you guys give me some grace. This pronouncement was called the blessing of the covenant. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says that we have been redeemed from the curse of the law so because Christ was made a curse for us so that we might have the blessing of Abraham. Because of what Jesus did, there is no more curse in your covenant. The curse has been reversed. There is no curse. If the curse active in your life is still something that you believe, you need to repent. There is no curse. Now, if the snake slithers into your backyard and he talks you into another curse, that's on you. But there's no curse. The curse was also pronounced. The curse was the penalty for breaking the terms of the agreement. They swore by their God thereby making him third party to the covenant. I've got to do this. I'm sorry. This is so important. I can't go past this. I was trying to not, but I can't go past this. This is going to be PG-13, so I'm, re- I'm warning you now. Anybody want to leave? Okay. The marriage covenant. has been so badly secularized that we have lost the power of what it is. The marriage covenant is literally meant to show the covenant between God and man. Go read Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 makes it really clear that the union between husband and wife 
one of the main reasons for it to be that way was because it was supposed to show the union between Christ and the church. Christ as the groom, the church as the bride. The more we delineate, take away the power of, malign, spit on marriage, when they redefined marriage at the Supreme Court, thinking they were more supreme than God Almighty, who is supreme, the blow wasn't about trying to give gay people the right to get married. It was never about what that was. What that was, was to destroy marriage and define it as anybody, anywhere, anytime. Right now, there are people that are married to trees. And don't laugh, I'm for real. Why? Because marriage doesn't mean anything anymore. Let me tell you what it means to God. Marriage is the only institution that we have today that was created by God in perfection. Think about it. It's the only thing that we have that was pre-sin. When people run around and fornicate, and use that as some kind of a release in their lives, you are literally bringing something that's dark and terrible into something that's supposed to be the most pure expression. Here's how pure it is to God. And this is the PG-13 part. Medical science will tell us that when a young man has their first ejaculation, there is blood in that ejaculation. Blood. Every woman in here, you know about the hymen. Once. That's what it means to God. That the blood of the first, only the first ejaculation, and the blood of the hymen are mingled on that night of the covenant that was cut in blood. God literally physically created our bodies to honor the wedding night as an expression of covenant. Blood covenant. And now you can marry a tree? And you don't get neither of those back. Medical science has no idea what the heck a hymen is for. And it's been in the Bible since Genesis chapter 2. When we start to value covenant the way God does, and I'm not just talking about marriage covenant, I'm talking about covenant. God has made a covenant with you in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have to go through this. Are you with me? Like, if it was just about Jesus dying and being resurrected, he could have just went, like, Father, into your hand. He could have been just standing. Like, on the temple stairs and said, Father, into your hand, I commend my spirit and forgive all the people because they need to be forgiven and go, <gasps> and then die. And then they put him in a tomb. And then he comes out. And he would have died and been resurrected. And most people think that's all Christianity is about. It's just about he's resurrected, right? So that's all that matters. No. Why was it so bloody? 
every square inch of his body was furrowed. They pulled out his beard in chunks. They pushed thorns into his actual physical brain, through his skull. He was so mutilated that Isaiah says you couldn't even recognize him as a human being. It literally was like hamburger hanging from a meat rack. Why? So Mel Gibson can make a million dollars on a movie? Why? Because every drop, every activity of that crucifixion, that walk of blood up to Golgotha, the way that he was crucified, they pierced his hands and his feet in the covenant while you are standing in the way of blood. The representatives cut their hand and bound their hands together. Chris, come here. They would take their right hands and they would take a knife and I would take Chris's right hand and I would cut his hand deep and long and I would make sure the blood flowed and then I would give him the knife and he would cut my hand and he would make sure it was deep and long And we would make sure that the blood flowed. And while we were standing in the walk of blood between the carcasses of the animals that were split, I would confess to Him my loyalty. I would promise to Him that I will never leave you nor forsake you. We become castle rigs. We are now one family. The blessing that I have is on you. And if you break this, the curse of my God and my family will fall on you. I commit that I will die trying to kill you if you break this covenant. And then Chris pronounces the blessing over me. I'll do anything for you, Steve. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will stand with you. If your enemies come against you by the thousands, I will stand back to back with you. I will die for you. And if you break this covenant, I will kill you myself. And while we are standing there pronouncing the blessing and pronouncing the curse and the blood is flowing, we eventually take our right hands and we put our right hands together and we bind them with a leather strap. And His blood literally flows into my wound and my blood flows into His wound. And our blood mingle and I no longer have just castle blood. Now I have Riggs Castle blood. Now I have Riggs Castle blood. Now I am Steve Christ. I was no longer just the blood of Steve. Now I have the blood of Christ. His hands were pierced. His hands flowed that blood. And we became one with Him. That's His commitment to you. That's why he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He makes that standing in the way of blood with his hand bound to your hand, with your evil, wicked blood 
flowing into His perfect veins and His perfect and pure blood, washing every sin and iniquity in you that has ever been since before time. Destroying who you once were and making you Christ. When you see the bloodiness of crucifixion, it's not because God was some torturer. It's not because he hated Jesus. It's because he went to the uttermost to save every aspect of your body, your soul, and bring you into the life that he has for you. Psalm 89. Psalm 89, listen to this. Also, says the Father, I will make Him, Jesus, my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for Him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with Him. His seed also will I make. His seed, His seed, His seed. That's you, beloved. His seed also will I make to endure forever. And His throne as the days of heaven. Heaven's days have no end, beloved. His children. If His children forsake my laws and walk not in my judgments, and if they break my statutes and keep not my covenants, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Why did Jesus have to have the rod? And why did Jesus have to be striped? For my sin, not his. For mine, because I broke the covenant. Nevertheless, my loving kindness, look closely at this word, loving kindness. The translators of the Bible literally created a word. Because there is no word in English that can define the Hebrew word chaset that was used right here, which literally means covenant, love, mercy. And so the translators came up with loving kindness. Every time you see loving kindness in the Old Testament, it's chaset. Covenant, love, mercy that is so real you can smell the carcass and the blood from which it comes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take away from him nor suffer his faithfulness to fail. My covenant. This is the Father speaking. My covenant will I not break. Nor will I alter the things that have gone out of my mouth. By my stripes, you are healed. I will not break my covenant. You are healed. I became poor so that me, so that through my poverty, you might 
be made rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He died in poverty so you don't have to die in poverty. He was rejected by man so you could be accepted by the Father. He was counted to be a cursed thing so you could count it to be counted to be accepted in the Beloved. All of that was for you. Jesus didn't need it for Him. You do not understand one word of this book unless you understand covenant. Not one word. This is an old covenant that has passed away and a new covenant that was made with better promises and is a living, breathing, believing covenant. Jeremiah talked about it in Jeremiah 31.1 and this is what the New Testament, and then I'm done. I know that some of y'all probably don't want to hear this, but this is really powerful. Jeremiah prophesied that there was coming a day, there was coming a people that were going to be in a different covenant. That was not going to be do good, get good, do bad, get bad. They were going to be in a covenant where they were sons. Ladies, you know that birth is a very bloody thing. But yet, the blood of the child does not have the blood of the mother. The blood of the child has the blood of the father. Look it up. More than 50% of the blood comes from the father's DNA, not the mother's. Hebrews chapter 8, you have never understood a word of the book of Hebrews unless you get what I'm saying about covenant. Not one word. The entire book of Hebrews is a covenant book written from a covenant man to covenant people. You've never understood a, a single sentence of this book unless you've understood covenant. Verse 4 for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there were priests that who would offer gifts according to the law, who should serve under the example and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses would admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, says he, God, that you make it exactly according to the pattern that I showed you in the mountain. But now... This is talking about Jesus. Has he obtained a more excellent ministry than the Old Testament priests? He's a New Testament priest. By how much more also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Why is it so covenant language in here? Because he wrote to people that understood what I ministered. Which was established on better promises. Better than what promises? Better than the promise that Moses had? Better than the promise that Abraham had? Better than the promise that David had? Any promise in the Old Testament that you find 
you have better promises because they were cut in the way of blood of Jesus and not cut in the way of blood of oxes and bulls and goats and birds. For if the first covenant had been fought less, then should there be no place for the second. That's a radical statement, and I can't drill it down. For finding fault with them, God found fault with the first covenants. Does anybody know what the fault was? People. We were the fault. We broke them. God made covenant with Abram. Abraham prostituted his wife. God made covenant with David. David committed adultery and murder. God was making covenant with people, and people were breaking covenant. So what did God do? God birthed the Son and made covenant with His Son. The Father made a covenant with the Son, and now we get invited into the Son's side of the covenant because He represented us He was a representative in the covenant and the entire family behind him got brought into it whether they actually were part of the covenant or not because their one representative bound our family name to God's family name and so now by default of one person that bled for the entire family, the entire family gets ushered into the covenant. So now there cannot be any fault because the father's going to keep his part of the covenant and the son's going to keep his part of the covenant and so therefore, the fault of the old covenant was dealt with with the new covenant because he can't break it and he can't break it. So all you get is the blessing of the covenant. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah or with the house of grace. Not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the hand and lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continually, they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, says the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. We don't have to have what happened to them wandering around the desert 40 years to us. And if you're one of those sorry suckers that thinks that you need to wander around the desert for 40 years so that God can make you do something... You're in the wrong covenant. You should get into the new one. For this is the covenant. You want to hear what your covenant is? Yeah. It was paid for. It was bled for. It was purchased. It belongs to you. You're part of the family. The first son bought this covenant for all the other sons. If you're born again, you're a son. And so this son bought it for all the sons. So you want to hear what you got in this great covenant? This is the covenant I will make with them, with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, the one that cut the covenant, I will put my laws into their mind. I'll speak directly to them instead of having to have a mediator. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. My father talks directly to me. I don't have to go to some priest. I don't have to go to some holy man. I don't have to go to some third party. I don't even have to go to my wife. 
Father talks to me. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God. And they will be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord! For all shall nasco me. Deep, intimate relationship. All will nasco me from the least to the greatest in this room. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. That's your covenant. Stop putting God in remembrance of your failures and start letting God's blood wash away the iniquity of your mind. Your sins, your iniquities, He has no memory of it. You're as free as you want to be. That's your covenant. It's purchased in blood. I'd like to bless you. If you'd please rise, I want to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His precious, life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you. I'll see you again soon. Thank you.